Hello, everybody. Welcome to Return to Reason. My name is David Craig. I am filling in for Leon today. Well, it is my pleasure to be speaking with today's guest, Wendell Cox. Having studied demography extensively across North America for the past few decades, he is the most preeminent voice addressing the public policy issues that influence ecology and population migration. In Canada, we are seeing housing issues happen across our country. So how can housing markets settle? What about supply and demand? Will you ever be able to afford a mortgage here in Canada? Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. So Wendell, we in Canada have an issue that's happening right now with affordability and obviously around the world, there's a lot of things that are changing as a result of COVID. Uh, Obviously inflation is an issue, it's being followed very closely, but particularly in Canada right now, could you basically tell us and explain to us what is happening in Canada in regards to affordability in housing. Are people having a harder time buying a home right now? Oh, yes, it's terrible. And by the way, this is not limited to Canada. And by the way, it is also not the same across the country. What's mm-hmm. going on in Canada is is for years you have been transitioning to what's called an urban containment regulatory structure. You won't hear anybody talking about it because no urban planner wants to stop what they're doing. What they are interested in is stopping sprawl, stopping the outward expansion of cities. The problem when you do that, and the way you do that is as in Vancouver, they have an agricultural reserve that they draw a line around the city and you can't build outside it. So all the growth has to take place in the city. I should say in the urban area, the built up area. In, in In Toronto, it's a green belt. In Ottawa, it's an urban an urban growth boundary. But the basic point is, just like when OPEC decides it's not going to pump as much gasoline or oil, uh, when you take away land from an urban housing market, and that's what we're dealing with, a, a housing market is a metropolitan area. It's a labor market. And, and we analyze these markets based upon a price-to-income ratio called the median multiple. Median house price divided by median household income. Now, the basic problem here is is that when you force demand to compete with existing uses, because there isn't room in the Vancouver metropolitan area to grow much more unless you start tearing things down. And so you've got a forced densification kind of policy. It has driven prices up. It has done the same thing in Hong Kong, in San Francisco, in London, in Dublin in Auckland and just about every place it's been tried. And virtually all of what I hear from Canada with respect to solving the process, pro- the problem misses the point. They mm-hmm. always like to talk about municipalities and the terrible things that municipalities like Surrey or Vancouver or Toronto or, or New, New, New Market have done. But it is not a municipal problem. The housing market in Vancouver is controlled by Metro. A provincially, a provincial body under provincial law, and they decide how far the development can go. In, in, in Toronto, it's a provincial program called Places to Grow. And so the basic point, and, and there's the view, if we just get urban, if we just get municipal zoning right, it'll be okay. No, not a chance. And there are a lot of people that are not very happy with these trends because um, this means our neighborhood is going to be very much disrupted. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a big problem. And listen, I'm not saying there isn't we, we shouldn't be looking to densify in areas where it's appropriate. 
I think densifying in the city of Vancouver down near downtown uh, makes a lot of sense. But densifying when you get out into the suburbs doesn't make any sense at all. So, Wendell, when you we talked a little bit about um, a green belt that's happening around these cities, which is obviously trying to stop urban sprawl. So the only right. other option is uh, densifying, building up um, in those areas. So when you have the municipality making these decisions, is it a result of a green agenda or is it a result of actual constrictions probably in Vancouver because of the land? They don't have its growth place because of mountains. What would be the motivation behind restricting urban sprawl, which obviously causes supply-demand issues? Uh, principally, it is it is environmental. And yeah, there are there are geographical restrictions. However, take a look uh, and it, go to Google Earth sometime and take a look at the Vancouver area from uh, from say uh, Horseshoe Bay all the way to uh, to Chilliwack or even Hope. And look at how much empty land there is. There's a lot more empty land than there is urban land. So so why are they wanting to restrict urban sprawl? Oh, because they don't like urban planners don't like urban sprawl. They want they have a vision of the city that has that does, is not sprawling. They they dislike they hate cars. Really, they really do. They and and and, and they hate suburban development. I mean, you can go back to writing in the 1850s when urban planners in London were decrying urban sprawl. And the point is, the question is, if we can allow it, let us allow families and households to live where they want. And I have no problem with singles filling up the Burrard Peninsula in Vancouver. uh, But at the same time, families with children shouldn't be shouldn't be tri- urged to be moving into 40-story condos mm-hmm. but the problem is that this demand is going into areas with similar uh, with similar uh, regulation and housing affordability has been has been dropping through the floor the last 5 years we've seen ha- uh, some of those markets uh, like Brantford and St. Catharines and so on uh, for that matter, you can go to Chilliwack in the Vancouver area. We've seen a doubling in house price to income ratios. Vancouver Island is a basket case at this point. The people moving to Vancouver Island from from the city, from the Vancouver CMA, are very substantial. And the housing costs relative to incomes have gone up greatly. And our research, just let me finish this one thing, our research in the States um, suggests that if you look at the difference in the cost of living between metropolitan areas, the principal difference has to do with housing affordability. Hmm. And in the United States, 85% of the difference between the cost of living of low cost areas and high cost areas is housing costs. So this is a big deal. And we're about ready to have a middle class that is impoverished. I mean, you look at young people in places like Vancouver and Toronto, at the moment, they have a great problem ever hoping to own a home. Yeah. Wendell, I want to look at Canada from a 10,000 foot view right now. Obviously, Vancouver and Toronto have had massive price increases over the last decade um, to where, frankly, it's unaffordable for new people. Wages have not risen at the same uh, rate that housing has risen. People, it's, it's it, you can't hope to home. It's very hard to ho- own a home there. What's happening in the rest of Canada, in between those two cities. Are you seeing similar things? Like, for example, I'm based out of Calgary. Since COVID, we've seen uh, a big uh, price spike in Calgary homes, um, but has to do with supply, demand, and getting 
a supply chain, those type of things. What are we seeing in other major centers like Regina, Winnipeg, um, the places that fill between Toronto and Vancouver? Are you seeing a similar thing or predict a similar thing? Well, it's, it's similar, but not nearly as severe yet. Calgary and Edmonton, I should say Calgary. Edmonton has actually done about as good a job as, as any of the major metropolitan areas in Canada. But Calgary has a has had a planning program called Places to uh, called um, Planet, which which tried to do the same thing in Calgary as Toronto has done. However, yeah. then you had 2015 come, or maybe it was 2016, the oil bust, and all of a sudden, you yeah. know, downtown Calgary is a, ba- a basket case at this point. Totally. Um, and, it, and you're having out migration, believe it or not, still from from Alberta. Right so, now, so, still. Right now, we're still uh, having the out? latest data. Well, certainly over the last five years, okay. it may have changed in the last year or two. But um, in in the uh, since the 2016 census, the entire million person uh, Edmonton area uh, added 90 people net, and Calgary lost, I think, about 17,000. Basic point is, though, you were saved by the oil bust. House prices didn't go up that much for over the last five or six years wow. because of the oil bust. But if you look at um, um, Regina and Saskatoon are doing pretty well. They're down three and a half uh, median multiple instead of a five. Calgary and uh, Edmonton are around four. Wendell, sorry to interrupt. Do you mind explaining median multiple just in case our oh, audience sure. doesn't understand what it is? Happy to do so. Thank median you. multiple is the median or middle house price divided by the median household income. Okay. It's a widely used price to income ratio. So that, for example, the worst in our survey of 92 metropolitan areas, Hong Kong is the worst at 19. Or I, sorry, 21. It looks like it's going to be 19 this year. Vancouver is second worst at about 14. Sydney is third. And Toronto, I can't remember exactly where Toronto is, but it's 10.5. San Francisco is 11.5. The basic point is if you go across Canada beyond that, you get to Montreal, for example, where the median multiple is over six. Now that's bad, uh, but they also have the same kind of policy. They have an agricultural reserve. Uh, Ottawa is at about five and a half or six. So it's in bad shape, not terrible shape, but bad shape. The Atlantic provinces are really pretty good. And incidentally, the interesting thing to me about the current uh, uh, migration data is for the first time I've ever noticed, we now have inbound migration to New Brunswick, and Nova Scotia coming from principally Ontario at this point. Is that a direct result of housing affordability, you believe? Well, I think it is. Now, who knows what else it is? It may be everybody's going home to where grandma lives. I don't know. Yeah. But the ba- the basic point is, yes, generally that is is the view. The, the, and that accounts for the growth in, again, Kitchener, Waterloo, London, Guelph, places like that. Can you tell us what would be what would be a healthy median multiple? Like, is there an ideal uh, number to be at? Three point zero. Since World War II, until until the implementation of urban containment policy, which happened fifty years ago in Vancouver and fifteen years ago in Toronto, the median multiple tended to be three or less in all of the major metropolitan areas of the United States, Canada, um, New Zealand. Uh, and the United Kingdom. So again, this is something, this did not happen by accident. I mean, everybody likes to say it's demand. Well, of course it's demand because you've raised the price of housing so much that that nobody can afford it. Well, okay, so Wendell, for people watching our conversation right now, 
why should they care? Why does housing affordability actually affect them or how does it affect them on their day to day? So like maybe you're talking to a guy who is renting right now and he says, uh, how does this affect me? Why do I care? Like my life seems to be going, I'm good for this week or I'm good for this month. Why should they care about this? Well, there are great advantages to home ownership and, and polls regularly across Canada show a favoritism toward home ownership as opposed to renting on the part of younger people. So so there's that. If you'd like to own your own home in the in the future and have a little bit better control over your life, great. But but the other issue is this is not going away. I mean, there, we have a problem at this point. Your housing market is is so distorted at this point that no one can afford to live in some of your cities. It is not going to get better. Some people are saving themselves by moving to Kitchener, Waterloo, or Chilliwack, or Nanaimo. But but the fact is, things are going to keep going up. So again, um, housing affordability needs to needs to not get any worse. And unless you deal with this supply issue, um, it's going to. And right now, by the way, just let me give you a little bit of hope. The Ford government in Ontario has now made a proposal that will swap some land that's protected, uh, about 9,000 acres, I think it is, and move it into the green belt and take out about 7,000 acres and build 50,000 houses. Well, that is a step in the right direction. Because if we're going to get any sort of improved housing affordability, we've got to reduce the price of land on the periphery. And that means more green belt land. And I'm happy to say also that the Ford government is based upon uh, provincial law added something like, um, I think it was about a square kilometer of land to the urban growth boundary of of Ottawa, just on the Ottawa side mm-hmm. of the river, obviously. So, so, and this is very important because governments have been very reluctant to, to, to expand these because you get all sorts of headlines, which if you go back and look at today's or yesterday's Toronto Star, you're going to find out that the Ford government is supposedly doing this to help its developer friends and, and how terrible that is and putting profits before greenbills. No, no, no. If you care about housing affordability, you'd better care about providing housing on the urban fringe, which reduces land uh, land values throughout the metropolitan area, because in the long run, things are only going to things are only going to get worse. I know across Canada right now, even at the current rate that we are building homes, so not condos or anything else, homes is that I believe over the next five years as population growth happens, Canada is still going to be well short in terms of the amount of homes needed to sustain uh, our population. I believe it's two to three million houses short. So what would you suggest um, to Canada, Canadians, or even our, our regulatory regarding it that's, that's causing these issues? What is your solution to that? How can Canada back out? How can we correct the course that we're on? Well, it's going to be difficult, but you must. The, the key is to restore the competitive price, the competitive market for land on the urban fringe. Right now, for example, you can build a house in Winnipeg for only about 20% less than it costs to build the same house in Toronto or Vancouver. But look at the land prices. Mm-hmm. The land prices on the median house in uh, our, our data shows the median price house in um, in Winnipeg, the land price is perhaps $90,000, including all the services, the the, the, the roads, the, the sewers, etc. It's about 1.1 million. 
in Vancouver. We yeah. got to get that down. So that means we've got to do more building on the fringe. Um, and and by the way, there, there's always the concern about agricultural land. Well, yeah, there's good reason to be concerned about agricultural land, but you have no shortage of agricultural land in Canada. All of your urban areas combined, according to Stats Canada data, cover 2.5% of the agricultural land. I realize there's a lot of land you wouldn't want to yeah. build on in the New York, the, the Northwest Territories and Yukon and so on. But that that's in the, the agricultural belt. So hmm. so again, and, and my basic concern here is that we are we, we have a lot of people that require housing subsidies. Now, why do they require housing subsidies? The principal reason is that we forced house prices up so much that wages cannot pay for market for market produced housing. So I come down to a point that basically says, and by the way, our, when you talk about subsidized housing, take Toronto, the Toronto area, for example, uh, some re, there are some reports that waiting lists for public housing are over 10 years. Now, poor people who have housing needs don't need that house in 10 years. They need it this afternoon. Yep. If you and I need housing, we can go to the market right now and find a house wherever we live, and, and, and it won't be much of a problem. My basic bottom line is that poverty is worse than sprawl. Hmm. So well said, Wendell. Do do provincial and federal governments in Canada also have an impact over what's happening in the cities, or is this strictly restricted to our city governments um, that is is stopping this? Almost none of it has to do with city government. Okay, this so is I'll... not about Burnham. None of it. None of it. It's yeah. not about. Um, no, it it th these these peripheral restrictions that are driving up the cost of land are provincially determined. In, in, in BC, by virtue of the creation of Metro that controls this, a provincial body with appointees, or I can't remember if it's elected, it doesn't matter. Um, in Toronto, it's provincial across and, and also across the province. In Quebec, it's provincial. It is not provincial so much in, um, in, in Nova Scotia, where, where the city of Halifax is so large that it's got all sorts of land all over the place, but it's got the yeah. same kind of regulatory problems at the city. But for the most part, the problem is not about cities. So migration obviously is happening with Canadian centres moving away from these high prices. Is immigration playing a part in this as well? Well, immigration would be playing a part because, as you probably are aware, uh, a good percentage, I don't know if it's most, but a very large percentage of, of immigrants go to the Toronto CMA. So that increases the demand there. And it may very well be that to some degree, immigration to Toronto is driving out uh, people who, uh, other immigrants that came before them or other people who've been there their whole lives. But the fact is in the normal state of affairs before, uh, before population growth rates uh, were, were, had dropped significantly, the same problem occurred. People would move yeah. from Saskatchewan and Manitoba to Toronto. Now they're moving from Germany and India. Our countries have been very similar as probably most of the major G7 since COVID um, in terms of the amount of money printing that's been happening. We're seeing similar things in terms of uh, major interest rate hikes, the highest that we've seen in decades. Canada in the most recent one wasn't as aggressive as expected with only half a point uh, of a raise. And with that, we're seeing obviously a slowdown. Most of it is people are being deterred from uh, or not being able to be approved to buy homes. But we've seen slight 
price drops across Canada, obviously more in some major centers. Calgary hasn't been as much of price drop, in, in my opinion. Do you expect that this rate increase is happening? In, in the States, the same thing's happening. I know they're talking about a, a housing bubble again, that type of thing. Do you expect that to help solve the problem? Or is this just a temporary slowdown in terms of housing affordability, meaning it's becoming slightly more affordable, and then it's just going to start zooming again in Canada. What's your thoughts? Well, you know, the interest rate thing is is something of a, of a, of a wild card. Uh, we can, I think, expect to see house prices decline to their pre-COVID levels because we had a, a lot of demand that was sort of new because, you know, a lot of people moving to places for remote work and that kind of thing. And that was a big issue Today, I think, I mean, I've seen stuff out of Stats Canada saying that something like 30% of Canadian workers are now working from home. I mean, yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah. But that that interest rate is is, is something that, that we've not had in this urban containment environment. Um, and you have a particular problem in Canada that we largely don't have in the United States, and that's that a lot of your home mortgages require renewal so that you might get that, you might be sitting on a 2% rate and if five years passes, and you're now looking at a 7% yeah. and you can't afford the new, that's huge. Yeah. We don't have, in, in the States, um, we've got largely 30-year rates, so it, it isn't that kind of a problem. But yes, indeed, there could be a lot of people in a lot of trouble. We don't know how much down the, 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 the costs are going to go, the housing costs are going to go. My sense, though, is that in places, again, like Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, especially, um, the demand is so much beyond the supply. The planners have allowed the market, have, have pushed the market to be so distorted that I doubt that the demand will be reduced to the level to bring back sanity with respect to housing prices. So this might be diving a little deep, but can you comment on the ideology behind city planners in terms of like the major why why are they willing to go this route or are they just not foreseeing the problem that they're causing? Well, I can't, you know, not being an urban planner, I've talked to urban planners. I I, I would only say my sense, and that's all I've yeah, got is a sense. Course. My sense is these people have been trained in urban planning. They believe in urban planning. They believe cities should look like utopia and, and that's fine. Okay. And the basic problem is that in my view, the success of a city, and when I say a city, I mean the metropolitan area. The success of the Vancouver metropolitan area is how well are the people living, period. Mm -hmm. I don't care what it looks like. The only thing that matters is how people are living. Yeah. And and I don't see that I don't see that kind of a uh, a thought with respect to planning. And, and if you look at these urban planning regimes that have been set up around the world, routinely they have been set up so that there are periodic reviews to make sure there's enough land to build to keep the housing prices down. Yeah. Never happens. Huh. They, 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 they look at theoretical models and never look at the prices. Yeah. My sense is that housing affordability, real housing affordability that is quantified and let us say should be three, but you're not going to get to three from 14 or 10, but, yeah. but, but should have been three. Uh, there's no interest in that. And, uh, and that's a real problem. And I've been very pleased, frankly, over our 18 years of publishing this report, along with Hugh Pavlitich in the first 16 years of New Zealand, that, that we have basically greatly increased the interest in housing affordability around the world. And at least people are now talking about it 
much more with respect to quantification. Before that, a lot of people just said, oh, the housing prices are going up. We got a, we got a crisis. I remember people in Atlanta talking about a crisis when they were st still down about three. The yep. point is, we're beginning now to look at quantitative measures to, to look at housing affordability. And one last thing on that, recognize that rents are a function of house prices, okay? Yeah. You can go and you can see a huge correlation between metropolitan areas so that for the renter, one reason to be concerned about the price of housing relative to incomes is that if it goes up too much, so will your rent. Completely. Um, yeah. Just slightly to topic change, can you comment on nimbyism? It's probably a term most people aren't familiar with. Uh, just maybe let our audience know what it is and sure. why it's a problem. What NIMBY means is not in my backyard. And the proponents of forced densification, which most people seem to oppose, the proponents of forced densification are largely NIMBYs. Um, and, and the problem, which is a special they, interest group, essentially is what you're saying. Yeah, it is. But I mean, listen, they, they got, it's made up. I mean, we didn't have NIMBYs okay. making much of a, of, of a, of a, a problem 10 or 15 years ago when rents were a lot lower. I mean, yeah, yeah. I can understand we have got largely young people that are having to pay exceedingly high rents and they, they're, they're being frozen out of the housing market. And so I can see this is a political reaction. We should have expected this kind of thing. But the ba and the problem is, though, that, that now they want to come in. For example, the city of Vancouver um, has, has adopted, I believe, um, basically um, regulations that allow building a four, of a fourplex, four houses on a single family lot. Uh, and other cities have done this kind of thing. Um, and, you know, not all the neighbors like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But there's yeah, a view yeah. that th the basic point is that the fundamental problem is not single family zoning. The fundamental problem is that prices rise from the edge of the city and they go up. And if you start here instead of here, the prices are going to be higher. OK. Any final thoughts? If you, Again, thinking of our audience who's listening right now. Um, what would your suggestion be to them when it comes to where Canada is going? If they should they buy a home? Should they? What What are your general thoughts? How can they also activate themselves to help the situation in Canada? Well, I think one one thing we really need is for people to understand what's going on. And right now, you're not getting good information on that. And by, by the way, your government is no different than ours. You won't hear this anywhere. You'll hear it from some researchers, but but um, we need to have people understand the dynamic. And one of the problems that occurs in politics, at least in the United States, I won't indict Canada here, is politicians have, you know, they're always talking about affordable housing. They've got to inoculate themselves and they come up with pr pr proposals that don't work. No. But you know that they're for affordable housing because they say that they are. We need to have a political system in our two countries that delivers on its promises. If you read the press in Vancouver and Toronto, you'd think all sorts of things have been done. Yet where is the, where is the evidence that anything's improved? We need to be looking for evidence in the long run, and we need to have proposals that take in, into consideration the real economic dynamic that's going on. Wendell, where can our audience follow you? Or if they want to learn more, obviously you're an expert in this area. Can they find your work, your writings? Where can they uh, look and follow Wendell Cox? Uh, 
On this on this subject, uh, the best is the Frontier Center for Public Policy in in Winnipeg. Okay. Um, that's fcpp.org, I think. Yeah, fcpp.org. Yeah. Uh, and there they can find our International Housing Affordability Survey that's done every year. We also do a supplemental survey in Canada for uh, for the large markets as well as the smaller markets, about 50 of those are housing affordability in Canada. And we've written a bunch of stuff that's on their website. So that would be my recommendation. Awesome. Well, Wendell, I really enjoyed talking with you today. Um, all the best. Appreciate your time. And uh, we'll have to do this again soon. Right. Thank you very much. You are an essential part of this series. Support truth, knowledge, and wisdom by sharing this show with a friend. Visit returntoreason.tv. There you can subscribe to my newsletter by clicking Become an Insider. Get the latest articles, episodes, and exclusive content. You'll be the first to know about fascinating conversations I've had recently and what my research team is working on. If you have a suggestion for the show or would like the reference material for this episode, use the link in the show notes. Experience Return to Reason. Get involved.